0: Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Ville Church provides all its resources for free. If you have been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.theville.church. All right. Y'all ready to jump into this? All right. Praise the Lord. I'm glad to have y'all here today. All right. So we're going to be in James 2, 1 through 7 as Pastor Rodney was um, hitting. We've been going through the book of James. I'm excited to be able to preach this this uh, morning. And, um, and uh, you know, I am back from sabbatical or whatever, so it's been a minute since I've been up here with y'all, but I'm glad to do it and glad to, you know, be pushed deep into the Word. So I want to, fellas, hit the clock back there for me. I wanna make use of our time, so I'm gonna jump right into the text. So James two, verse one through seven. I'm gonna read the whole thing. Matter of fact, I'm just gonna read verses one through three and we're gonna jump in one through three and just go, go straight through the text, right? So it says this. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring in fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing, and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. So we're going to jump in, and we're going to go right there. James gets straight to the point, we're talking about the sin of partiality. Um, first of all, let's talk about the context, who is he talking to? Number one, he's talking to the church at that time, right? And we know that because he starts off by saying, my brothers. So he's talking to people who are actually believers. And he says that to them. And he goes into this, the only imperative we're going to see in the text that we're following, right? This is the only command he's saying to them. My brothers, show no partiality. Just to make sure y'all are awake, can you say that? Show no partiality. That's right. Partiality is favoritism, right? He's saying, show no partiality, show no favoritism as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. glory. The translation on show no partiality is this, don't receive the face. If you translate that text, it says, don't receive the face. What it means in their time is this right here. He's saying, don't take things off of face value. If somebody comes in and they're flossy and they're glossy or whatever, don't assemble in your heart this way that you're going to treat them because of what you actually see on the exterior, right? He's saying as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ and the Lord of glory, he's saying that you can't do these two things. They don't work together. You show no partiality as you hold the faith. If you're holding the gospel and the gospel's true for you, then you don't walk around paying respect to people because of what it looks like and disrespecting people because of what it doesn't look like. Y'all with me so far? It seems simple enough, and and, I don't know about you or whatever, but I feel like, yeah, I know this, I say this, I tell my kids stuff like this all the time, and it feels almost elementary, but I believe by the time we get to the end of this right here, you're gonna be clenching your heart going, oh my God. As I work through this text or whatever, I would read it, kind of think about it and then turn around and have a thought and be like, oh, that was that ugly thing. This thing right here, this partiality, it runs deep, deep in us, right? But it says don't receive the face because we know what we know about God is that God doesn't receive the face. God doesn't look at the outside of us he doesn't even fall for all the little stuff we run off in our resume right we always talk about the Pharisee and we talk about the tax collector in the temple y'all know that story right so the Pharisee comes in and he runs off his resume God thank you that I pay tithes that I do this I work with the sick I work with the poor I do this and he runs off this amazing resume and then the tax collector walks in and he's sitting in the back of the temple and he won't even go to the front and the tax collector goes God please forgive me because I am a sinner And the text says that God doesn't, that, that, that Jesus says, he says, he did, at that point, he doesn't, he doesn't receive the face. He doesn't show partiality. He, he actually says the one is justified, the tax collector, the one who actually didn't come out with this exterior resume, but actually poured his guts out and said, I'm a sinner. You all with me so far? We together? That's who, that's who he actually receives. God doesn't show partiality. And this is important. The reason I want you to get this is because when we're going through this text, you're going to need to have that with you. You're going to have to have it close while we're, while we're going through this Word this morning. You're going to have to have this thing close to you where you don't show up with your resume, but when, when we're going through the Scripture, you're going to have to say, Hey, God, this is me. That ugly thing is, is me, right? Pastor Rodney talked about it last week. He talked about in the text in James, at the end of James 1, he was talking about how we look in the Scripture and it's like a mirror for us. It's like a mirror for us. If we're being honest and we're being truthful, right, we don't read and we go, man, I know so-and-so, they really need to hear this because they need to get their stuff together. We don't see somebody else's reflection. We look in the scripture and we see our reflection, and then because the gospel is true, the reflection actually changed to Jesus because he's already paid the price for us. So we're invited to look deeply into the text and be convicted, right? I'm hoping that my prayer this morning has been that the Holy Spirit convict us about this imperative of showing no partiality, and that's why I'm trying to make sure your heart is set in place. You ain't got to raise your hand, but like you ever been in, you ever had some ugly debt looking in front of you, right? When you have some, when you have debt in front of you and your money isn't right, nobody gets the mail and be like, oh my God, let me look at this new bill. You get where I'm coming from? Like, you get like a, like a box, an old, like, crunched up old Nike shoe box in the corner. And you just keep tossing it in there like, and you walk by and kick it. And you're like, I'm going to watch some Netflix and eat some cookies. Like, you don't look at it, right? That's how, like, our, that's how, like it is for a Christian. Like, like, when God shows us stuff in the scriptures and we get convicted or whatever, it's like either you get condemned and you got the, and it's this ugly debt that you owe, so you don't even want to look at it. You just kick it to the side or you get convicted, right? You get convicted. You, 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 God shows you something that's in your heart, it's ugly, you get convicted. But like, you ever like got some bills and then your money's right? You run around hunting for the, like, yo, it's a bill over here. Babe, yo, send a check. You get all cute with it, you know what I'm saying? Send a check, boo. I can't talk. I'm old, I can't dance. I was trying to do a move, but it didn't work. But you get where I'm coming from? You start to get cute with it, like, hey, yo, listen. It's a pile of bills over. Let's take care of all of it. That's how it is, like, when you are actually a Christian and you're a believer, you get to look at your sin like that. You, like, you get to look in the mirror and see the ugly and be like, Pshh. so open that thing up. Let's look in it. Let's see what's there. Because Jesus Christ died, right? He erased that. He did this thing on his cross, whatever, where he wiped all our sins away so we're able to walk in the light. So that's my heavy encouragement for you this morning as we dig in this thing. You ready? My brother, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. What's crazy about partiality, right, is that it's completely irrational in light of the gospel, right? It attempts to undo the merciful and holy work of Jesus on the cross. It makes no sense. It makes no sense at all, right? When we read Ephesians 2, it says this. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Through what? And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So the gospel in itself is this thing where like neither, none of us can actually... None of us can show up and throw our resume around. It's a gift we get from Jesus. So we're already in a posture of peasants in this whole thing that are being made royalty because of the work of somebody else, right? You get where I'm coming from? But when we look inside of the text right here, In the context of James 2, in verses 2 and 3, it says, and if you pay attention, excuse me, it says, for if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in and you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. That text actually favors human work, right? Achievement, accomplishment. It completely undermines what the gospel is doing. For the rich man, just off of face value, it gives credibility that's smarter intellectually and, super- and spiritually superior, he's given worth. And it's not that the rich man is a sinful person. The idolatry and the sin is in our heart and how we treat that person, right? Perhaps they have sinned in their part, but this is actually getting at the audience. He's talking to the believers and how they function when the rich person walks in the room, or how they function when the poor person walks in the room, right? He's talking about our mess, right? He's talking about our mess. Perhaps they can get the church out of debt. These are thoughts that, from a practical standpoint, they sound sensible. But like if that's all we see of people when we see them, if that's how we actually measure who they are and what they are, then the word says that it's actually an evil thought. You get where I'm coming from? If I want to lift you up because of what you got or I want to sit you down because of what you don't got, we're playing a worldly, carnal, evil, wicked. We're playing Satan's way. That's not God's way, right? That's what James is calling out in this text. It's this writer by the name of R. Kent Hughes, and he says this. He says, James Word's picture, he, he starts this phrase off weird or whatever, I'm gonna say it the way he says it, but he says, James Word picture, church history and our own experiences chronicle the, instant, the inconsistent tendency of vibrant Christianity to become discriminatory and given to favoritism. Money economics is the principal medium for discrimination. Christians tend to listen more intently to the prosperous man, to, de- to defer to his wishes, to place him in a position of leadership. If you can run a bank, we think you can run a church. i just reading what my man said. Don't throw the rocks at me. Right? That's what he says. You would think if you look at the American church today, if you look at even if you've been looking politics in the nooks and crannies of local government, big government, all these different things, big big corporate business, you would think that Christianity has become a respectable endeavor. It's a respectable thing, easily grabbable by good old moral respectable people, right? Of course, our elites, the steerers of our cities, country, government, those in honorable positions are Christians. It just makes sense. That's a lie from the pit of hell. The Christian walk, the gospel is absolutely scandalous. It's scandalous. It's scandalous that God would come off of his throne and actually become a human and actually put on this disgusting flesh that we walk around in and actually go to the cross and bear the weight and penalty of all our sins. That's scandalous. If any of us had a family member murdered and then somebody, and then, and, and then the judge let that person off free, we would say that this is an injustice and this court is disgusting and we would spit in, on the judge. We would say we want justice, right? So the gospel in the same way for me and you, guilty is charged. God sends his own son to pay the penalty. The gospel is scandalous in all ways. You understand? It, undons, it, undo, it undoes our, our humanistic senses. It undone, it, 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 you come undone before the cross. This isn't something given to those who just can intellectually grab it. I don't know about you. At night, I lay in the bed sometimes, and, I, and I'm, I'm waddling in this thing where it's like, God, how can you stand me? How can you give ear to me when I'm here to repent for the umpteen thousand times for the same exact sin? How is it you can actually even bear me? And I'm not talking about being condemned, I'm talking about knowing my debt is paid so I get to look deeply, right? That's not me wallowing in condemnation, that's me wallowing in freedom. I get to look deeply at me and when I do all the math, I'm like, you suck, Jay. And simultaneously, I'm, 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 I'm wallowing in the fact that his mercy and grace is all mine. It's insane. It's insane. I want to just like grab it up and just carry it and be done, be like, thank you, Lord. But it's like I'm drowning it. it's too much. It's uncomprehendable. It doesn't make any sense, right? I know it doesn't make sense because for me, even when my kids mess up, the lack of mercy I give them in the moment, how hard I have to work to even grasp uh, just a, a slight pinch off of what God has given to me to give to them, blows my mind. Christianity isn't, isn't a respectable endeavor. a holy God saving people who deserve judgment. That's what we boast in. That's what we boast in. Far be it from us to abuse the poor. Far be it from us to abuse the rich. Far be it from us to set these different systematics in place to honor one and dehumanize another, but we do it. We do it. The idolatry of our hearts is exposed so heavy in this text. What's in our heart when we want to be praised or worshiped for our skills, ability, competence, achievements, is a wicked desire for the sin of partiality to play out, but with us as the rich one in the narrative. I want you all to think about it. I'm going to read it to you one more time. You all ready? What's in our hearts when we want to be praised or worshiped for our skills, ability, competence, achievements, is a wicked desire for the sin of partiality to play out, but with us as the rich one in the narrative. I want you to just think about it for a minute, right? Back in the day, my first car was a Toyota Tercel. It's beautiful. It was beautiful. I loved it. Everybody didn't love my Tercel though. But I loved the Tercel, it was my first car. So when I used to roll up, you know, I'm rolling up to the club, I'm out the window, my little size five-inch five, five inch speaker, whatever, woofer was, and I'm rolling up, right? I'm feeling good about it. Then when I looked out the window at the girls trying to wave. Don't get jealous, babe. Trying to wave and flex a little bit. Their eyes didn't say my little Tassel was fly. They, they didn't, you know, they, they didn't say that back to me or whatever. I didn't get that. But I saw my man pull up, you know, with the Lex or whatever in the big truck, and I was like, oh, man. It's like, yeah, yeah, that's, I need to get one of those. It'll help my game out. I need to get one, right? It sounds reasonable enough, but like, let's be honest about it. I'm going to just be truthful with you. What I was looking to do is I wanted people to be partial to what I had, right? I don't want to be the poor person over here struggling, whatever, but, but I sure didn't mind being the one flossing, you know? I wanted to roll by the other, by whoever else still had the sell and be like, how you doing over there? Oh, I got to go. I don't want to let my AC out. Whatever it is, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, and I'm, I'm joking, but like at the same time, I'm trying to, I want you to locate how this thing plays out in your heart, right? I want you to locate what that thing is for you, right? Maybe it's the house you live in. Maybe it's like, maybe it's like, maybe you're dreaming of a new body, and you're just like, wait, wait till I get summertime. Fine, I'm about to kill them all, right? Whatever, whatever that thing is, that like, you want it to create some type of partiality so you can actually have this praise in this thing or whatever, right? And I, it like, and I want you to grab it because this, this thing is so frequent in us, we don't even know it. We don't even grab how frequent it is. But the favoritism, it contradicts faith, right? It contradicts faith. Imagine what happens when we, when we fail to protect ourselves from partiality, when it materializes in our hearts and in the church. It's really going to be hard for you to grasp this. But perhaps we would start seeing churches that only, only have one social status inside of it. Everybody's economically all in the exact same place. Could you imagine such a thing? I'm being sarcastic if you want to entertain me or whatever. Right? Maybe you show up in churches or whatever, and it'll just be like one race. Right? This isn't just a, hey, make sure you be good Christians. James was like telling them like, you're going to break something that's beautiful if you don't listen to this, if you don't take this serious. We, we're in it this day. We're in it right now where the elites of our society actually run around and act as if they champion the idea of Christianity. And everybody else is up under the judgment of the way the elites say church should look and be done. It's real cute, you pitiful poor churches in the hood, whatever this and that you need to So it's cute. This is the way it should be done. But it actually ends up looking nothing like what we see in the Scripture here. It's actually reeks of partiality. Verse 4 says this. It says, have you then not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? What we end up with is these different distinctions. And when you end up with a different distinction, you end up with the, idol- the, the ideology that usually goes with that distinction, right? Like all of us have different distinctions we may come from that we are actually, the gospel is looking to pull us to the heart of God and free us from it, right? It's like when the in, in the text or whatever, we preached it not too long ago. When, when he talks about the, the, the poor person um, um, rejoicing in their exalt- exaltation and the rich person rejoicing in their humility. So if we're talking about financial statuses. We're talking about the gospel and the cross is actually t- having the rich person actually say, I don't believe what the world is selling, right? And, and their and fight is to actually become poor in spirit. Or you have the person who over here who may actually practically be very, very poor, but the Bible is saying that you actually are royalty. You are the royal priesthood of God. And I've actually chosen to bring away, bring about my will on this earth by exalting you even in your economical condition. You understand? I know this kind of stuff isn't popular because it kind of makes your brain hurt to think about a little bit but it is what it is. I know for a fact people have left our church, churches. I've even had family members have the conversation where they're like, I will never follow a pastor whose car looks like this. I'm like, what, what are you talking about? Things like that, this partiality coming out inside of our heart, real ugly. I've, I've sat with people and, they're, and, they're, they, the, the, and this is a, this is a, it's a reasonable question. Like, hey, I feel different in this context. What do I have to offer, right? I've had people ask that question and they don't really want an answer. It's just a statement they make before they actually dash out of the door, right? I don't fit in this context or whatever. Um, I'm gonna go and be with somebody who actually is more like me, looks like me, walks like me, talks like me, or with the track my career is on, just being associated with this group of people actually might make things rocket off right where I needed to be. Do you get where I'm coming from? Maybe you do some kind of third-party marketing or whatever, and you're like, y'all don't got enough bread in here or whatever. I'm trying to get this noni juice rocking. You feel me? <laughs> Is anybody still selling noni juice? If you in here, you got some, holler at me. I want to get a bottle. I'm just playing. But I've been in those conversations. It makes sense that we would ask those questions. It makes sense. But here's the thing what this text is actually showing us is that none of those things, no, none of those variables actually make sense in the kingdom of God. It's actually wrong that it makes sense to ask. But in the climate we live in with church, the way churches are, the way that we actually look at data and everything else or whatever, and the way that we actually make our distinctions, it seems reasonable. But what I'm saying to you is that it's actually not okay based on what this text is showing us. God actually says that, that we've become judges with evil thoughts. Are y'all with me? That's what, that's what he calls that. That's what he calls that, judges with evil thoughts. R. King Hughes also says this, he says, when the poor and uneducated are not welcomed with equal enthusiasm, it's precisely because the Bible has not triumphed over culture. Right? I'm not telling you something that I had some type of amazing revelation on. I'm simply just reading scripture to you and what scripture says is that the proper thing to do. What often happens is we no longer look at the scripture and we actually reason about things that have to do with God, but based off of a carnal perspective, right? So when we start building churches and planning churches and everything else and looking at it, we're usually looking at data and financials and economics and money and everything else. We're not praying and saying, hey Lord, where where do you want us to go? We're saying, the, the money trail says, you go this way right here, we'll actually, maybe they're not even money hungry, but maybe they're like, we'll be safe in this place over here, because it makes good financial sense. But God has never told somebody to stop or go when it comes to moving the gospel forward just purely based off a of good financial sense. He sends us and he provides. He sinses, and if you struggle, he makes, he makes the, the struggle actually fruitful for you. Right? If you ever been with your back against the wall financially, then you know. Like sometimes like sometimes I'm like, thank you, God, for that. Because I've been spinning a little too crazy. I'm walking around here like I'm filthy, rich, or something. I need to feel this pain. I don't like it, but thank you for it. Because it's a good teacher, right? We get blessed coming and going, a base or a bound. Whichever one it is, we actually get to, we get fruit out of it. So God is not scared of these different things or whatever. We're scared to actually put things in front of him and say, God, what would you have us to do? We always put like, we ask that, but then we're like, but don't say nothing crazy like that. I ain't doing that. God, that's how we usually deal with him, right? Verse 5, he says this. He says, Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? That's what's in the text. Rich, powerful, popular churches don't determine the health of small or poor churches the same way rich, powerful uh, popular people don't determine the quality of, of, of poor people and their walk and their health in God. The Bible does that. You understand? That, that's what the Bible does. That's what the gospel, that's what the truth that we proclaim does. The cross makes that decision for us. And, 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 and what we've done in society, we've attempted to switch up this verse and make it sound like this. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not, God, has not God chosen those who are rich in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? If you're an alien and you just landed in the United States or whatever, and you looked around and you start studying Christian culture, you would think that that's, you would read this text and be like, I think there's an error here. It said, those who are poor in the world, rich in faith. It's not what we see at all. The poor are trampled in our glorious, big churches. Y'all throw a rock if you think I'm talking crazy now, everybody being quiet. The Bible is what we follow, right? It's the word we follow. The question is this right here, like, I think it's a, a question that we all have to ask ourselves. Like, do we think... Like, what have you bought into as a believer? Do you believe what God is doing is actually bigger than what the world has to offer? Because if you don't, you'll always be the world's sucker, right, it'll dangle something and throw you this way, dangle something and throw you to the right, right? You get where I'm coming from? It's a job, even being a pastor. Like, I always get like big, big boy churches, like, hey, I wanna meet with you. And then they're like, listen, little peasant preacher, Hey, we want to this and that, da da da. You want to skip and jump or whatever, and like you. If that's what you're chasing, you end up playing a sucker all day long. You get exhausted, right? If you're just chasing the money, that's. But what does it look like? The freedom that you actually have when you actually believe that you are the royal priesthood, that God actually particularly sought you out, called you out of darkness for his glory, right? What kind of strut do you have then when you have everything and you can't be bought, right? What does it look like to be actually rich but consider it nothing? Because you know that everything you have is nothing in comparison to what God has done through Jesus Christ for you. And now all your wealth and your riches are being redeemed for his glory. Right? What does it look like to not have enough, to not know how ends are going to meet, but you're still looking towards eternity one day when you'll never want again, and you're walking around satisfied while you're still lacking? Sounds crazy. Maybe that's what God was up to right? Or maybe partiality is the answer to it all. Far be it from God. He's not a receiver of the face, right? He doesn't, he doesn't roll like that. Verse 6 and 7, and I'll begin to bring us to an end, which y'all all know when preachers say that is a lie. <laughs> but you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme that honorable name by which you were called?" Now James flips the script here, right? Because on the first part of this text, when he actually brings up this idea, whatever, of partiality, he kind of makes it a little bit more closed in and he's talking to the group and everything else, but now he's kind of having them kind of look outwardly, right? And he's kind of Pointing out to this systematic brokenness, right? This is a big deal because even in the church today, we have a war inside of the church where you have people going, no, nothing's broken out there, whatever. The you know justice system, the racism, none of that stuff actually exists. And you have another part of the church like, what are you talking about? We're feeling that we're actually living this out, and you're actually saying that we're hallucinating and nothing we claim is actually real, but. And if we're going to generalize things, and we will because what James is generalizing it here for them as well or whatever, right? This isn't every single rich person walking the earth, it's not a true statement, right? But he's generalizing what it feels like in their day, which is exactly what it feels like in this day. He says, but you have dishonored the poor men, are not the rich ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you in court. We have dishonored the poor man in the idolatry of our heart and polluting the truth of the gospel that we see in verse 5. When we took it from God choosing the poor and making it into choosing the rich, right? When we personally actually perpetuate this even in our context. I want you to just think about it. Start to do a study of it. Who do you give attention to in the room? Who do you hug? Who do you hold close, right? Who do you think about when you pray at night? and see if there's any partiality in it. Who do you put on the smile for the biggest when they walk up? And why do you? Who do you? Who do you actually make time for? And who do you not make time for? And what's your reason for it? Y'all hear what I'm talking about? It'll hurt. It'll hurt, but you can look at the bills. You can look at the bill. Because God already paid the check. You get where I'm coming from? But like, do this. James, James is he's pushing this because he's saying the church is going to look ugly if you don't take this serious. But we look throughout the historical context of church. This has been a problem forever. You, look at, you have pastors and preachers who took to, to preaching in graveyards, going to the coal mines because the church place was no longer fit for the people who didn't have nothing to be. The hostility was too great. You understand? There was no room for the poor to assimilate in the context of church besides sitting on the floor going to sit in the corner. It's a hard place for them to find a seat. But there's always seats for the rich. It's beautiful for this to hurt us. It's beautiful, it's beautiful if you feel a feeling right now and you think through this and you, and you start feeling this kind of thing in your heart like, Dad, you, know, you kind of caught me with this one right here. That's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's supposed to be like that. It's supposed to, it's supposed to leave us in a tension all the time. I hope all of you land in the tension of this conversation because all of us, I don't care, like you may be poorer than most, but you are maybe richer than some. And you may actually live out this elitist thing on whatever level you're on, right? But like, we all need to feel the tension of it because we need to be mindful of it when people walk in the doors the way we love them, the way we welcome them in our church, the way we live in our neighborhoods. Perhaps this partiality creeps into even the way you pick where you live at. You get where I'm coming from? it's invaded. He's, he's talking about the systemic pollution, the systemic pollution that partiality creates. ain't you no know, broke people running any, 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 any offices right now. Our people in government don't know what it's like to have, be struggling to pay for gas. They don't have an idea what that is. I'm not trying to go anti-political here. I'm just throwing it in the context of this scripture. There's partiality. The reason certain people aren't at the table is because there's partiality. Plain and simple. You don't dress the part. You don't look the part. Your education doesn't play the part. So I deem that your, your two cents is only worth two cents. All right? That's the disgusting thing. God is looking to beat up out of us with this right here. I don't know if God beats stuff out of people, but it showed this one so hurts a little bit, right? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? Saying, are they not the ones who have hijacked the name of Christianity and polluted it, right? Some of y'all have heard me talk about some of the meetings that um, I've been able to be in in the past year or so, right? And so some of them have been with some really you know, known um, political people, or whatever, on a national scale or whatever. And I'm usually in the room, like, what the heck am I doing in this room? And not too long ago, I was at a meeting. There was two people that we see on national news all the time at this dinner I was at. And we were, t- we were there to discuss community development and when I got there, it was plain to me, it was obvious to me that they weren't there to actually talk about community development, right? So they had brought a brother this really juicy ribeye, so I was like, I'm gonna just kill this ribeye, and I'm gonna drive home, and I was mad because I had drove like five hours to be at this meeting. So I'm eating my ribeye, and I'm at the table, and the meeting was just, it was just gross, right? But every statement that I heard come out of people's mouth at the table was, as Christians, as Christians, ask Christians. They kept saying this, like preceding every statement with "as Christians as if it was some type of magical shield to protect them from ever being wrong. Like, like as if when I say this, this statement that I'm about to release is going to be the bomb.com and you got to chew it whether you like it or not. But the the dynamics of the conversation, it wasn't about community development. It was about how do we manipulate people out of their party is really what the meeting was about. So I was like, all right, I didn't come here for this. But I couldn't bear hearing them say, ask Christians anymore. It was an extremely elitist, pompous tone that was coming out. And so I ended up saying something about it. And I I said, you really should stop saying that because what was hurting me is that they were blaspheming the name Gee, like they were bla- the gospel that saved a wretch like me they were acting like it was something that was only afforded to the most elite and rich and and and, and, and of society and it's a lie and it's a lie. And the reason it hurts so bad, because that means that my brothers who are like broken, who are in jail, who are, who, are, who are struggling and everything else, who look nothing like them, if what they're saying is actually true, then all my friends are lost. There's not a God for them. There's not redemption for their sins. Do you understand where I'm coming from? So it, it, it made me mad. And I ended, up, I ended up saying something, and I said, you're looking to manipulate people out of their party. I said, you don't want to go inside of the community. You don't want to have proximity with people. You refuse, refuse to weep with those who weep. You're here to talk about strategies of trickery. That's not Christian, so don't call it Christian. You can continue in your conversation and do your little wicked strategy, but don't call it Christian because that's not Christian. It ended with like five of them pretty much going off on of me. They were screaming at me at the table. I didn't mind because I actually felt it felt good. That's a tongue-lashing you want to get. That's the kind of lashing you want to get. That's one of those ones where you're like, thank you, Jesus. This hurts so good. Bring it on. If I'm going to be disgusting to somebody, I want to be that kind of disgusting. But he says, are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court, right? Some of you, you can bring this on home or whatever. I know I'm talking about government and lofty things and everything, but take it on to work every day. How many people turn a blind eye and perpetuate this ugly partiality even in the workplace every day? You deal with it. You go to work or whatever, and you see this imbalance and this thing that happens or whatever, and you see people who are just complicit and go with it because if they kiss enough, you know what I'm saying, but anyway, if they do all that and everything else, then it might mean a bigger paycheck for them. It might mean a little bit more status. It might mean they get invited to that dinner they've been wanting to get invited where all the people who are really getting the paper and helping each other get to the top while they overlook over everybody else's work. You see everybody selling out. God meant for us to go and completely undo this system. He meant for us to be a problem for it. He meant for us to speak out and speak about truth in the midst of all of this. I posted a quote the other day from Booker T. Washington, says, a lie doesn't become truth, wrong doesn't become right, and evil doesn't become good just because it's accepted by a majority. This tension we feel right now, God is trying to actually break our shell and and ease this bold yoke up out of us where we no longer are okay with being Christians who are respectable, who fit the world's respectable idea of what it looks like to be good and be a Christian. We're called to be a problem. We're called to be sitting in the middle of this system messing up for everybody at work that wants to do wrong. Right? We're supposed to be inside of church undermining the devil and inviting people to the table. I got to do better. You got to do better. We got to do better. Even when we do better, we got to do better. Not because we're earning anything, but because of how big the cross is. Because we don't deserve to be here. And we, we, like, listen, if you get invited to the freaking party, and you ain't even supposed to be at the party, don't you want to say, homie, y'all come in, come rush, and then the party's wide open. You understand what I'm saying? We've been given this marvelous gift. We've been given this marvelous gift. And we don't walk around the party as peasants. It says we are actually chosen by God for his glory. It's a heart condition. It's a heart condition, right? It's a heart condition. I know people who are dead poor, but they are rich in their pride, and they undermine the gospel of Christ. I know people who are filthy rich, and they function and move around like they're poor. I was with a friend the other day or whatever who's extremely wealthy, and he was talking to me about this conviction he feels to not go just live it up, right? And he's like, he's like, man, everybody in my circle thinks that I'm crazy. And he was driving one of his family members' beat-up car and stuff, and they're like, why don't you just go buy this thing? And like, when I tell you your brother got paper, he got, got money, money, all right? He has money, money. And so he's talking to me about it. Jay he says, man, he, he goes, you know, I'm talking to you because everybody in my circle is saying, go do it, build bigger do this and do that, whatever. And he said, you know, it doesn't feel right. And I said, because it's not right. And I said, not because it's not right, because you're not supposed to go do the things that you're thinking about based on what you're telling me. It's not right for you. Somebody may, maybe they're supposed to go build bigger. And that's what God wants them to do. I said, but what you're bringing to me is that you have a conviction in your heart that it's the wrong thing for you to do. What you need to do is be obedient. And I said, what you're doing when you end up going to borrow, like, family members, like, broke-down cars or whatever, I said, the reason you're actually doing that is because you have access to all of this, but you don't buy it. You keep grabbing these broken things so you can keep a-balancing it all, right? You understand what I'm talking about? It's like, like, for me, for instance, I always, like, you, you, like, I live on the water. I live in a beautiful house. You'll find me in the hood. You'll find me in the, in, with a bunch of homeless people. I do it because it lets me not get lost in the comfort that I'm afforded. You get where I'm coming from? If you just stay in this place, that, this comfortable thing, you start to think that's reality after a while. And then when people start telling you about the, the, the horror stories they live in every day, you just think they're actually delusional. You're like, it can't be like that. You need to have to walk in the tension every day of like, I know it's like that, because I have proximity with people who are are poor in reference to me, people who are rich in reference to me, and I actually see them and love them all the same. I learned learned something from both, right? They love the Lord like I do. They're my brother and my sister, right? I don't don't abuse, I don't take one advantage of, of one of them because they don't have a lot, or take advantage of the other because they have. They're just simply my brothers and sisters. What they can get from me, what's consistent, is that they can get that I'm going to love them and that we're going to rejoice in that we have Christ Jesus. Do you get where I'm coming from? That's what God is doing in the church. Proverbs 22:2 uh, says this. It says, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. We're gonna close with that, y'all. Let's pray. God, Lord, we uh, Father, I, I I pray that um God, I ask that you have that you forgive us, Father. That you forgive me, Father Lord. I, I I can't even pull out all the ways. Um, I'm still working through all the ways of how this sin shows itself up in my life, in my mind, in my thoughts has implications on my actions, Father Lord, on implications on what I actually deem important or are um, or or deemed to have value and deemed to have worth. And I imagine, Father Lord, that there's other people in the room who are maybe, you know, mulling over some of these things also, Father Lord. And so, God, we, we thank you, Father Lord, that the bill is paid so we can actually look at the bill. We can look at what the damage looks like. And know that it's already that, that you've already paid it. You've already handled it with your son, Jesus Christ, Father. I thank you that we have freedom to walk in the truth. We don't have to run away from truth because it's too ugly to bear. We get to actually run to it because of what you've done on the cross for our sins, Father. So we're free. We're free indeed. We're free on a bad day. We're free on a good day, Father. Lord. We are simply free because of the efficiency of the work of Jesus on the cross. It is done. So we exalt you for that. We praise you for that. We're not everything that we want to be, Father Lord, but God, I know that you're with us and you're sanctifying us, Father Lord. You're pulling us in, into your mission deeper and deeper, Father Lord, in what you've called us to do. You've deep-pulled us into this thing where we find rest in you, not in trying to check off things and get things done, but like finding rest because of what you've actually done through Jesus for us, Father. You don't have all the words to say it the right way, Father, Lord, but we cast ourselves before the cross and we ease our anxiousness We pray for our condemnation to be switched into a sweet conviction. We just want to be closer to you, Lord. That's the best way I know how to say it. We want to see more of you. You said our work is this, to believe. Help us to believe more and more, Father. Help us to trust more and more, Lord. Help us to love our neighbor. Help us to truly esteem our neighbor higher than ourselves. Give us the wherewithal to work work through the deep crannies of our heart and to see the deceit that comes out of it, Father. Save us from condemnation when we discover ourselves. So God, I just praise you, Father. I pray for... All of us individually, I pray for wherever you have this word to live out in our life from day to day, in our workplace, in our communities. We just praise you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.